Welcome to Process This, a podcast for the sterile processing community. The Healthcare Sterile Processing Association, HSPA, invites you to log on, listen and learn twice a month. Now it's time to process this with your host, clinical educator, John Wood. Welcome to the Process This Podcast. This is episode number 93. Thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to join me today. As you all know, education moves us forward as professionals. So thank you for your commitment to the sterile processing profession. Today we are speaking again with Andy Sutton from Claris Medical and Aaron Arndt, a technology solution expert in healthcare. Now, they are here to discuss some new technology about to be released with boroscopes. Now, you might be saying a boroscope is just a boroscope. Well, not exactly. So you need to stick around for this interview, because in my opinion, this is a game changer. If I had to compare this to something, I think I would compare this to the transition of the cell phone to a smartphone. Now, some of you might not remember this, but cell phones originally had only one purpose, the capability to make phone calls. So no texting, no apps, no internet, no camera, nothing. Just plain old cell phone, phone to call your mom, right? So I'm gonna urge you to stick around and find out about this new technology and how it can benefit you. So find out what all the hype's about. Now, just another note, if you haven't checked out episode number 92 yet, when you're done here and you have a minute, go check out that episode, episode 92, because Andy gives some great advice on boroscopes. So it's not just about the benefits, but more importantly, it's about how to go about setting up a program that fits your specific boroscope needs. So check out that episode when you're done here. But before we get to talk to Andy and Aaron, let's get into what's on my mind. What's on my mind? All right, today on What's on My Mind, I am going to discuss the August 2023 issue of the AORN Journal. Now, this issue is dedicated to sterile processing, meaning there are three really good articles. Now, I'm not going to read the entire article because it's not ours, right? It belongs to the AORN Journal, and you need to go read it for yourself. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the abstracts for each topic. I'm going to list out some important things that are found in the article and then the key takeaways. This will give you a pretty good idea of what the article's about. And then it's up to you to either go buy the issue. You can buy it at the AORN.org website, or you can find somebody in the OR that gets the journal. Tell them, hey, I want to look at your issue of the journal, specifically these articles. Uh, or you can uh, go for membership at the AORN.org, get a membership, and the journal is provided for you. But some really good articles, but I think they're really interesting and really apply to sterile processing. 
All right, so the first article is titled Performance Qualification Testing Improves Processing of Lumened Surgical Instruments in Ultrasonic Cleaners. Now, the article reads, the use of performance qualification PQ tests for ultrasonic cleaners leads to improvements in the quality of processing lumen surgical instruments. Evidence and national standards assert the need for healthcare facilities to implement quality management systems related to device reprocessing and testing the adequacy of mechanical cleaning processes. Testing includes showing that ultrasonic cleaners have properly functioned cavitation, soil removal, and lumen perfusion capabilities. Now, this article summarizes survey responses from an audit of sterile processing professionals regarding ultrasonic cleaning units in the healthcare facilities, also provides guidance to facilities regarding assessing insulation, operational, and PQ testing related to ultrasonic cleaning equipment. Implementing this testing of ultrasonic cleaners and sterile processing units leads to a decreased risk of soil instrumentation in the OR, which can reduce the risk of patient infection and adverse events. So this article, like I said, it has a survey response of sterile processing personnel, and I'm going to read you some of these responses. One of the questions is, does your department have an ultrasonic cleaner? Now, 11% of the participants said no, which is a little surprising. Another question is, do sterile processing personnel conduct cavitation verification tests on the ultrasonic cleaner? Again, 18% responded with a no. Next question, do sterile processing personnel conduct cleaning verification tests on ultrasonic cleaners? Again, 25% responding with a no on this question. Do ultrasonic cleaners have the ability to clean lumens? 28% said no. And then last, do sterile processing personnel test the unit's ability to flush and clean units? And we have an overwhelmingly 35% responding to a no. So good information uh, through the survey, a little surprising, I think, with the uh, increased rates of no on these questions. Something to think about, especially if you don't have an ultrasonic cleaner in your department. Now, the article goes on to talk about some of the problems. It goes on to talk about the evidence to support this testing and some of the solutions, like they said earlier, instituting a QMS, a quality management system program, installing qualifications, operational qualifications, and performance qualifications for testing. Now, the key takeaways, if an instrument is not properly cleaned, it cannot be properly sterilized. Bowel burden on instruments prevents sterilizing agents from coming in contact with the instrument surface. Cleaning lumened instruments presents a challenge to sterile processing personnel. Next, sterile processing personnel can use a properly functioning ultrasonic cleaner to facilitate the cleaning of lumened instruments. Personnel should be trained on how to verify the function and efficacy of the ultrasonic cleaners. And as part of the quality management system, mechanical cleaning equipment should be tested daily for the function of cavitation, soil removal, and lumen cleaning. And the next routine testing of ultrasonic cleaners show that the ultrasonic cleaner is functioning properly. Ultrasonic cleaners should be tested on insulation daily and then after repair. And then there are commercial tests available to test and verify each function of the ultrasonic cleaner. 
And then last takeaway, a properly functioning ultrasonic cleaner reduces bowel burden on instruments, allowing for proper sterilization. The use of sterile instruments reduces the risk of a patient infection and adverse events. So great article, especially if you are looking for an ultrasonic cleaner, if you don't have one, this is a great article to kind of reference and refer to as you prepare to ask for that capital equipment. Okay, so our next article is titled Emergency Preparedness Strategies for Maintaining Water Supply Quality and Access for Sterile Processing. So water quality, you know, is a hot topic, so this should be interesting. So the abstract reads, sterile processing department technicians are responsible for providing properly reprocessed surgical instruments for procedures. They use utility, tap water, for pre-cleaning, cleaning and disinfection and critical, treated water, water for the final rinse and steam sterilization. Water maintenance personnel should work with SPD personnel to ensure that the facility water supply meets the quality parameters for hardness, pH, connectivity, chlorides, bacteria, and endotoxins. Inadequate water quality and quantity can affect the SPD's technician's ability to reprocess instruments correctly and may result in pathogen transmission. When water quality concerns arise, sterile processing personnel should notify perioperative personnel. Healthcare facilities should have a water management program to address both normal and abnormal water operations and an emergency water supply plan. Pandemics, geopolitical conflicts, and natural disasters may disrupt water supplies. Proactive planning for water shortages should help facility leaders respond quickly and effectively when shortages occur. The article goes on to talk about uh, water use and sterile processing, meaning types of water, quality of water that are used during instrument processing. It also talks about water supply disruptions. It goes into strategies for providing safe water and sterile processing through water management programs, emergency water supply plans. So the key takeaways for this article are as follows. The sterile processing department technicians are responsible for reprocessing surgical instruments correctly. True. They require adequate quantities of safe potable water and should work with water maintenance and perioperative personnel when water supplies are compromised. Utility water from tap can be used for pre-cleaning, cleaning, and disinfection. Critical water that has had contaminants removed is required for final rinse and steam sterilization. Pandemic, geopolitical conflicts, and natural disasters can have dire effects on water supply and access to clean water sources. Droughts affecting groundwater can cause loss of water pressure and poor water quality. And then last, healthcare facility leaders should implement a water management program to avert microbial water contamination and provide safe water for critical facility operations. They should include an, an emergency water supply plan in the facility's emergency operation plans. So another good article on water, uh, you know, a good article to take to your leadership. Uh, most sterile processing leadership lies in the operating room. So a good article, especially when you start dealing with ST-108, the new water quality guideline, you know, just another article to help support that. So I suggest you read the entire article. Again, to read these entire articles, 
you just go to AORN.org or find your operating room nurse connection. Now, the last article and probably one that we all struggle with is titled Sterile Processing Department Benchmarking for Labor Productivity. Now, this article reads, or the abstract is, personnel are critical resources in healthcare. Ensuring that enough staff members are available to provide necessary care for patients is of the utmost importance. Leaders can use labor productivity measures to compare their department to other like departments and set a benchmark to ensure that staff members are performing at their fullest potential. Productivity measures provide data to help leaders better understand how well processes, personnel, and technology are performing the required work for the department. Benchmarking the sterile processing department for labor productivity is one of the measures that leaders can use to ensure that staff members understand expectations and the role that they play in providing quality care and improving patient outcomes. Benchmark provides the sterile processing leader with the ability to measure performance, look for opportunities to improve performance, and ensure that staff members are working safely and efficiently, especially during staffing shortages. So the article goes on to talk about benchmarking for labor productivity. So it also talks about beginning a benchmarking project. So if you're just beginning the the process, it goes into talking about department process mapping, work hour statistics, comparing groups within the department, comparing characteristics and sample sizes, and then percentile rankings. It also talks about data collection, And then understanding the benchmark report, which talks about workflow, throughput, and staffing. And then last, it talks about critical success factors when implementing the benchmark. Now, the key takeaways for this article are benchmarking the sterile processing department for labor productivity is one of the measures that leaders can use to ensure that staff members understand expectations and that role that they play in providing quality care and improvement outcomes. The accuracy of the sterile processing department workload measures requires accounting for the full range of activities and the complexity of the work they perform. Internal benchmarking involves comparing performance metrics in the same department over a set period. External benchmarking involves comparing a department's goals or outcomes with those of similar departments outside the facility. And then effective sterile processing department labor benchmarking involves several variables, including department mapping, calculating work hour statistics, and selecting and comparing groups. Factors to consider when choosing the appropriate compare groups include revenue, case mix index, number of beds, number of discharges, adjusted patient days, geographic location, type of facility, and teaching status. And then the last key takeaway here is benchmarking provides leaders and staff members with guidance on areas of focus to improve department processes and manage staff resources. Monitoring is a critical success factor that should occur daily to promote both staff, member commitment, and success of ongoing benchmark implementation. Another good article on benchmarking, like I said, we all kind of struggle with benchmarking because all of our facilities are different, but here's some guidance that I think would be beneficial for you. Again, all of the information and the full articles 
can be found at the aornjournal.org. You know, you can buy it, you can get a subscription for it, or you can go find your OR connection and ask them for their copy of the journal. Either way, great articles. Thank you, AORN, for this information and the importance you've placed on sterile processing. And that's going to do it for this segment of What's On My Mind. So we have two guest speakers today. One of them is Andy Sudden, and he is passionate about helping others implement tools to increase patient safety. He joined Claris Medical Inspection Team in 2017 and has the privilege of traveling the world to work with hospital reprocessing teams, device manufacturers, and device repair companies to help implement inspections into their operations. Andy says the best part of his job is watching a technician use a borescope to visualize the inside of a device they have worked on for many years. And joining Andy is Aaron, and he has dedicated most of the last decade to bringing impactful software solutions to sterile processing, endoscopy, and the OR. He is passionate about solving practical problems for the frontline technician who are so in need and deserving of their industry's attention. Aaron currently holds positions with multiple companies that are dedicated to bringing the latest generation of technology and solutions to healthcare. Andy, Aaron, thank you for joining me on the podcast today. Thanks so much for having us, John. We're excited to be here. So Andy, when we last spoke, which was the last podcast, podcast episode number 92, we discussed using the boroscope for inspection of medical devices, more specifically with lumen devices. Now, during that conversation, you mentioned something around the four Ds. Can you kind of give our listeners a little recap of that conversation, uh, specifically touching on those four Ds? Yeah, sure thing, uh, John. So, you know, obviously when we're providing this tool to look inside uh, devices, uh, like you're mentioning above, anything with a lumen, you know, naturally, that's going to lead to the question uh, or two questions. One, you know, what am I looking for? And then the second thing is, you know, I'm seeing this, uh, you know, what what next? So with the permutations of things that we're going to be finding inside these lumens, it's that list is really pretty endless. So to help navigate that, Claris, over the, the many years we've been doing this, we've kind of come up with this these four categories of things uh, that you would find. Uh, dropping into. So kind of summarizing these for for this uh, listening crew, you know, debris would be the first thing and they all start with the letter D. So debris, something that's inside the lumen that, you know, really doesn't belong. This thing could be uh, synthetic. It could be something on the lines of bio burden. Uh, So that comes up with the first D uh, for debris. The second one being damage, various forms of this. You know, what we can do is kind of reference a pristine device and then anything that's different than pristine, you know, that could fall under this damage category. Uh, the third D being discoloration, uh, kind of another word that could go on with that would be staining. Uh, this could be things like residual uh, or dried chemicals. This could be something on the lines of rusting, um, but some kind of discoloration being the third D. 
And then uh, droplets, uh, the fourth D. We had to get a little creative here, but moisture is the kind of term that we're looking for and, and what we're looking for visually. So uh, this is moisture when it should not be present inside the lumen. So at a stage where you know this device, maybe even specifically an endoscope, should be dry at the end of the process. Now, in the last podcast, there was mention of something interesting. And personally, I think is really exciting. And that's this concept of a co-pilot. So can you explain to our listeners what the term co-pilot means as it relates to boroscopes? Yeah, so technology is always enhancing and, and there's constantly, uh, we're constantly looking for ways to take these enhancements and improve devices and processes around these workstations. Uh, so specific to boroscopes, you know, having a camera that's at the tip of this boroscope allows us to use the image in multiple ways. Uh, you know, a couple things that come to mind are enhancements. Um, you know, first documenting the findings. This is important to help drive change. We want to make sure that this stuff is documented. Pictures and videos are really, like we said in the last podcast, worth a thousand words or, or, or maybe more. Um, so documenting is these findings with the boroscopes is is very in, important um, as we enhance this. And then the second thing that we've focused on from enhancement uh, standpoint is the assistance using AI and, and mainly from the uh, boroscope operator standpoint. And so that's what you're referencing is this word called copilot, which I think we all understand uh, that term from like an aviation standpoint. But you know, a co-pilot for the boroscope operators, they're navigating inside of the lumen. Can you kind of explain uh, what AI is and artificial intelligence and how does it work with the boroscope? Yeah, of course. So uh, AI or artificial intelligence, um, as you say, is it's really an umbrella term um, for various subsets or, or fields within it. Um, the the dic dictionary definition generally being that um, AI is a branch of computer science that's dealing with the simulation of intelligent behavior in computers. So, right, uh, human-like um, intelligent behavior. The, the, the field of AI that we're mostly focused on here with regards to boroscopes and inspections is that of computer vision. Um, so computer vision AI is the type that trains um, computers to interpret and understand the visual world, um, much like you know people do with with their uh, with their eyes and their brains. And so this, of course, brings us to the to the really natural fit of using a boroscope um, to catch capture the visual world inside um, or outside of those medical devices, and also using that technology and other related um, AI technologies to, um, of course, process it and kind of feed into that term of, of the co-pilot. Now, there are some concerns currently with boroscopes, and they're centered around human factors, meaning when the boroscope process is being performed, items may be missed or items of concern may be misinterpreted. What role can AI play as the co-pilot in these type of situations? Yeah, so, um, you know, we don't generally believe that that we need to start by boiling the ocean on this one or, or, or jumping straight to kind of step three. I think that a natural place to begin is, is by simply augmenting uh, the inspection technicians with the tools and the knowledge that are needed to help them consistently and efficiently uh, do their job well. So just, just that would be a great start. Our goal is not to replace people or, or even take over critical thinking or decision making where humans really, really excel. As a good co-pilot should do, AI can be a second set of eyes to just help to ensure that items are not missed 
and is necessary just provide a, a, a really a tremendous amount of guidance and information to make interpretation, as you say, more objective and consistent. Kind of another factor of concern is efficiency. So efficiency with boroscopes in general, some view inspection as this really uh, task that eats up valuable time or just another step in the process. Do you think that having a co-pilot can help with efficiency when inspecting lumens? And how do you think that'll work? Absolutely, John. Kind of to piggyback off what Aaron said, the purpose of the co-pilot here is not to add additional work or effort in the inspection process, but rather just to take some of that burden off to the technician. You know, this second set of eyes is really kind of a key phrase that really um, connects for me on this piece. So uh, the second set of eyes alongside the technician as they're operating the boroscope. Main goal again, assistance and identification and the documentation piece are two things that we really think stand out. If we can do this in an organized fashion, that's gonna really lead to some of those things that you're talking about on the efficiency standpoint. So honestly, AI technology is kind of a new concept for me, kind of like the self-driving cars. Now, personally, I would be hesitant to take my hands off a wheel and just let the car drive for me. One reason behind that is because of the potential outcomes. I always think of the worst possible outcomes. That's just kind of how I am, I guess. For example, if a self-driving car glitches and crashes, you know, I have no control over it. Or let's let's go to the movies where AI takes over and tries to rule the world, right? So can you kind of speak to how AI with boroscopes would be different than these, these uh, silly scenarios? I can completely relate to the uh, hands off the wheel um, with an automobile, John. So I, I, I do think, though, a general reference um, where I liken this AI co-pilot um, piece is really in this self-driving cars. But where I kind of flip the paradigm here, just think about is many of the current vehicles out there, these alerts, let's call it, or the assistance piece are just designed to really help the drivers, you know, alert them to potential dangers. So, you know, focusing on these examples of like a blind spot warning, someone that's in, you know, you're, you're not seeing in a rear view mirror, but they're there. Uh, parking sensors, you know, you're getting close, don't bump into this. Uh, lane departure warnings. So uh, again, you know, I, I, I certainly can understand the fear, but the technologies can allow us to get to these warnings or alerts as a, you know, a true co-pilot addition to the process. I really like the term co-pilot because it sounds like, you know, it's not taking over the job specifically. It's just assisting you know, when there are findings or when there's things that need to be documented, that the AI is just there, you know, really that co-pilot as an assistant to help you in the process that you're already doing. Will this new technology integrate with existing systems? Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's largely um, unavoidable and really, you know, to be encouraged. I, I think one thing that kind of helps with this too is, you know, we, we need to remember that that we're just one small piece um, in this much larger, um, you know, kind of machine of around reprocessing, um, whether that's for endoscopy or, or, or the sterile processing department. So I, I think you'll, you'll see various players in the space with different strategies in this regard, just like you do today. For now, um, and speaking for, for myself, I think I'd, I'd just say that we, we all know what the users want um, and what's right for them and what gives them the best solutions and tools at the end of the day. Um, and, and Andy and I are, are certainly on their side. 
Andy, previously you've talked about how important training is when you implement a boroscope, not only just on how to use the boroscope, but looking at processes such as, you know, what is the need? What are you going to be uh, using the scope for? What, what additional training do you think would be needed when you add in the AI factor to the boroscope? So with AI and, and this solution here that we're talking about is the, the, the real goal is to enhance best practices and improve efficiencies, you know, with onboarding of new technicians, but as well as tightening up this whole process of visual inspection and more or less wrapping it with a bow on things like, you know, helping this tool uh, with documentation to help you improve, you know, more patient ready devices. So that's kind of the major objective, John. Now, cybersecurity is always an important factor or concern in healthcare facilities these days. Will this type of technology have any impact on current hospital systems? Um, no, no, in general, generally it won't. Um, so first, there, there's no reason for it to involve um, PHI, which I think, you know, just about all of the listeners here will kind of understand the significance of that, uh, really simplifying the considerations quite a bit, especially from, a, from an IT standpoint. Secondly, with regards to just the technology and the solution itself, we, we can really thank the large technology companies in Silicon Valley um, and elsewhere these past few years for really advancing the state of, of these core technologies that are needed for um, AI, computer vision, to the point where it is consumer ready. So what this means for us is, is that we can package the technology and the solutions that'll be readily palatable uh, to IT administrators and easily adopted by the hospitals. Hey, let's pause our conversation for just a second. Are you looking to get a CE for this episode? Well, you are in the right place. Not only do you get great information, but you also have the opportunity to get a CE credit for this episode. Now, to receive the CE for this episode, simply click on the link in the episode notes, log on to the MyHSPA website, and make sure you use the code COPILOT. Again, the specific code for this episode is COPILOT. Now, let's get back to our conversation. So are there any other considerations that we should be thinking about when we're looking to use this type of technology? So, I mean, at this point, the buzz on boroscope inspection uh, on Lumen medical devices is real. I mean, it's, it's rapidly gaining worldwide recognition and attention. And this is not only from just end users, but also, you know, governing bodies that are producing guidelines. This is also now trickling into industry as well. Uh, and they're listening. So, you know, solutions like boroscopes are ripe for the opportunities because of this to build on that solution. That's what we're trying to do here. Uh, and a, a great place for us to start on this is make sure that you're, you're building your current boroscope practice. You know, whether that's taking a boroscope that's there already in the department and utilizing it more, more efficiently, Maybe it's adding more boroscopes to more workstations so it is more of a higher frequency uh, inspection step. And the second thing that this kind of piggybacks off of would be, you know, lean on your industry partners. And, you know, I, I think for that, you know, we're talking about boroscope suppliers. We're talking about other industry people that we might be able to talk to about what we're seeing with the boroscope, whether it's repair companies or OEMs. So 
Boroscopes and AI influence in this step will require a, a lot of collaboration across the industry. I mean, this is not just one group that that's going to be part of the solution. So we're excited about that. And I hope that that's kind of where everyone else is feeling the excitement with us. So last question, where can we learn more about this type of technology? So you're going to see a lot more stuff coming out from uh, Claris Medical on this. Obviously, our partners in this solution for SmartScope. So Claris Medical, uh, our website, www.claris-medical.com. That's C-L-A-R-U-S-medical.com. And then SmartScope AI. So www.smartscope.ai. That's where we'll have a lot of the updates shared for, for uh, viewers and listeners. Great. Well, Andy, Aaron, thank you uh, for giving our listeners some great information. Uh, it's really exciting. This this term co-pilot, I'm excited about it. So thank you guys for sharing and being on the show today. Of course. Our pleasure. Yeah. Thanks a lot, John. Well, if you've listened to a few of my podcasts, well, then you know that that music means only one thing. And I'm sorry to say that we are out of time for today. Thank you, Andy. Thank you, Aaron, again for sharing with us today. AI and boroscopes. Man, this is going to be a game changer. Just think of the possibilities of what this co-pilot can bring to the table. Now, again, for more information about this technology, as Andy mentioned, check out the website, clarismedical.com. That's claris-medical.com and smartscope.ai. That's smartscope.ai. HSPA episode number 93 is in the books. We are done for today. Thanks for sticking around with me. Just so you know, each episode is on demand. So when you're ready for us, we'll be there for you. And as always, stay classy, and we'll see you next time.